Come then to the second in our series, The Shepherd's Detox. If you missed the first one, whatever you do, don't worry about it. Uh, but you can catch up online or grab uh, a CD all about uh, worry. If the first was worry, the second pollutant, poison, toxin that the psalmist addresses is busyness. Here again, these ancient words are as relevant to our lives as ever they were. They are as countercultural as they could possibly be. Most of the time, we worship at the altar of busyness. Busyness makes me feel important, valued, significant. We celebrate full diaries and competing demands. People needing us, jobs demanding us, things that would not get done without us. We live in an age when the blackberry is no longer a fruit. We live in an age when busyness is worn as a badge of honour. The standard greeting used to be, how are you? I'm fine. But what do you get back so often these days? How are you? Busy. How's it going with you? Oh, I'm busy. What's it been like recently? Busy. Busy becomes the word that defines us. I can remember thinking last Christmas about our Christmas letter that we send out each year to pretend that we are good friends with people we haven't spoken to in ages. You know the ones where you attempt to describe that your perfect family has had another perfect year without telling whopping great lies. So we send this thing out like many of you do, and as I look back over the years, the one adjective that was there again and again, leading the description of our year, defining how we had lived, was this wretched word, busy. And I thought, how pathetic is that? Here we are, like you, called to live radical Christian lives, to celebrate the presence of God, to flourish in his purpose, to grow as a family, more in love with each other, more in love with God, to be people that make a difference, to punch holes in the darkness, to use Simon's phrase of a few weeks ago. And the best we can say about our year is that we've been busy. But busyness has become the badge of honour. The way we demonstrate to others, maybe even prove to ourselves that we're important and valuable. If you're not busy, you must be dead or something worse. Not busy, good grief. What a loser. Busyness, though, is crushing us, polluting us. Are we more alive, more vibrant, more reaching because we are busy? No. We're more vacant. We're less in touch with those around us. We're numb to who we are and how we should give of ourselves. Our soul becomes poisoned with irritability, frustration, anger, bitterness. Our relationships become shallow and are defined by taking rather than giving. The things that are important are put aside for what is immediate and urgent. And we focus on surviving rather than living. Yet overcommitment and busyness have been elevated in our culture to socially desirable norms. Being busy is chic and trendy. Pity the poor person who has an organized life and a livable schedule. Everyone, it seems, is just running out of time. We are five minutes, perhaps three minutes, into this message. Statistically, I've lost some of you already. You're snoozing. You're investigating your belly button. Whatever you do when you've got a few moments to yourself. Before the rest of you go and join them, I'd like to ask you six questions that I ask of myself to see whether this is really an issue for any of us here. 
I'm already sure you've applied this message to somebody else, to your spouse or your children, your parents, your boss, maybe. But what about you? You see, like worry, busyness is about you. It's not about your circumstances. It's about you. Remember we said about worry, oh, I've just I've got lots of things to worry about. No, it's about you, your attitude to what's going on. Busyness is the same. You might be saying, oh, I don't want to be busy. It's just that I've got lots to do. It's not as simple as that. For many, the rush comes from within and not from without. Okay, here we go. Six questions. Are you always in a hurry? Man, some people are just always in a hurry. It's Sunday afternoon and you're taking a stroll with your family and you can see them in Christchurch Park 20, 30 yards ahead of the rest of the group. It's a Sunday afternoon walk. But they're in a rush. It's a lazy stroll with your family but it's been turned into a project to be completed with maximum efficiency. And there they are, yards ahead. I wonder whether you're in a hurry when you walk or is it when you talk or is it when you drive? Even on holiday, you're in your car going on holiday. You've got all the time in the world. There is no hurry to get there. There is no deadline. But you find yourself driving along, making complicated mathematical sums in your head. Blackpool, 90 miles. If I go at 90 miles an hour, I'll be there in one hour. No, if I go at 180 miles an hour, I'll be there in half an hour. If I go at 70 miles an hour, no, that's too difficult, so you don't bother. And then you get stuck in a traffic jam, and you're switching lanes, even though you know there is this eternal law that the lane you have just left will move faster than the lane you have just joined. And there you are swapping lanes, and suddenly the petrol tank is getting lower and lower, but you cannot stop. Do you push your petrol tank until even the last drop of petrol is come through the engine? Why? Because you cannot bear filling up with petrol and watching all those cars you have overtaken whizzing on by. And can you resist the telephone ringing? This is what gets some people always in a hurry. Can you resist the phone when it rings? Is your worst nightmare getting to the phone, picking it up, hello, to realize that they've gone, and you start ringing your friends to see who called you? Sad! I can't spend as long on all the others. Uh, uh, Are you always in a hurry? You get the general idea. Is your to-do list just too long? Are you always writing your list and never getting to the bottom of them because you are coming up with something every time that is simply unrealistic? This has been a real learning curve for me and it's been a painful one. Setting expectations for yourself that are simply unrealistic which leads only to frustration and burnout. Third question. Do you use days off to complete unfinished work? Or maybe it's not your day off. Maybe it's an equally inappropriate other kind of time. For me, it's late nights. I know that things are out of kilter if at 11 o'clock, instead of going to sleep, I go to my studies. Where do you struggle to put your boundaries in the right place? Fourth question, has someone ever told you to slow down? Oh, yes, it's so annoying, isn't it? What's more annoying than wasting precious seconds by listening to some wise old soul telling you you must slow down? If they got their finger out and did a bit more, perhaps you wouldn't be in such a hurry anyway. Fifth question. Fifth question. Do you feel guilty when you relax? Busyness, the rush from within, 
not from with it. Do you feel guilty when you relax? And is the only time you stop when you are sick? Is that the only time you really lay on your back and reflect about your life, its meaning, your purpose, and what you're really all about? We're too busy. And busyness crushes what matters most. God is a relational God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he has set us up so that relationships matter more than anything else. But busyness robs us of these things. Imagine with me a husband and a father. It seems only yesterday he watched his beautiful bride coming down to the altar. A day then of such love and hope and promise. It seems just moments ago that their children were born and the house was so full of rush and noise. Toys covered the floor. There were always clothes on the line. Every room was packed out. But now listen. Listen in what for him seems just a twinkling of an eye and those days have gone. And listen as he shares his heart. I enter an empty house and wander around the rooms. They were gone. They'd asked me over and over again to give them time, but I had such a busy job and so many commitments. Yet all I wanted as I stood in the hollow house was them back again. I wanted to hear my child say, will you play with me now? I wanted to say to them, yes, of course I remembered Kate's birthday. I wanted to pull the telephone that I'd never been able to resist right out of the socket. I wanted to rip up the diary with all those appointments. And I wanted to tell them, you really, really, really matter. You matter more, more, much more than it all. Forgive me. I just wanted to roll back the years and start again. To bring back what busyness had stolen. Or imagine a woman, it's 11.45 p.m. and he's still not in. She lies awake. He's not with another woman, he's not getting drunk, but he's not with her either. In fact, they haven't had an in-depth conversation for many months. Too busy, they say to one another, as each passes and goes out the door. But the bitterness in her is rising. And one day the toxin will be too great. Is this the life God has for us? Is this the life? God has for us? No. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. God's way is not all busy, busy, busy. Not all pounding the road. Consider another psalm that David's son Solomon wrote. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. If all you do is get up early and stay up late to work and work and work, you've missed it. You've missed God's heartbeat for your life. It's all in vain. It's because it's a life that's driven by something other than the heavenly one. And we miss the very essence of what God has for us. This psalm, Psalm 127, begins, unless the Lord builds the house. In other words, unless the Lord is building our lives, what kind of life is he building? Well, whatever else it is, it's not all work. It's not a life that is all work because that's in vain. It's not all work and no play because that makes Jack a very dull boy and Jill a very dull girl. Burning the candle at both ends, you're not as bright as you think. 
And sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is go home and go to bed. Get the rest that you need to love those you've been given. I can remember after a period uh, here when the demands had been, uh, hadn't eased up for a while and, and I wasn't strong enough to resist those demands. And so relentlessly it was just there wearing me down. And on one particular day I'd gone from appointment to appointment with people and it was mid-afternoon on a hot summer's day and I left somebody's house and I knew there was just nothing else I could possibly do. 3.30, I get into bed, I pull the duvet up over my head and like the 200 men at Besaw Ravine that you'll think about in your small group this week, like them, I was stopped in my tracks, exhausted. My busyness, nothing more than my own stupidity, but a grammy to a halt. Eugene Peterson says that being busy is just because you're too lazy to control your time properly. And so you give in to the unrealistic expectation of others. That's true in all our walks of life, in all that we do. He makes me lie down in green pasture. God is interested in your rest and your refreshment. If you give your life to Jesus, sometimes we have created the impression that a whole load more stuff will get piled on to your already busy life. Jesus says something quite different. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If anything, Jesus, if these words can be believed, will slow us down, making our lives calmer, sharper, fuller, richer, you wouldn't get that impression from most local churches, ours so often included, would you? Mary had a little lamb, she also had a sheep. They both joined the Baptist church and died for lack of sleep. <laughs> so how do we encourage this life that is so very different, this life where you are encouraged by the Father of Heaven to lie down in green pasture, this life that is nourished and rich, this life that is full and present and engaged? How do we rest so that we're refreshed? How do we rest so that we are replenished? How do we rest so that we are rich in the things that matter most? Resting has been built into the fabric of God's plan for your life. God wants you to relax. And I want to use that word as an acronym to help us understand what that might mean. What does it mean? What is God's way for us to relax? Firstly, I think we must realize our worth. Why are we so busy? What's driving us? Maybe several things, but I think at its heart it goes something like this. The reason most people overwork is because they confuse their work with their worth. We think that if we work a whole lot, achieve a whole lot, then we're worth a whole lot. We confuse what we do with who we are. And one of the first questions that you will ask someone that you are getting to know is, what do you do? And it's not just because you are interested in how they spend their days. It's because you will use that information, rightly or wrongly, to judge, to define, to assess the kind of person that you are speaking to. So we wrap up our worth in what we do. If I do a bit more, I'm worth a bit more. And I'm desperate to believe that I'm worth something, so I'll do a bit more and a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. For my A-levels, I did maths, physics, and chemistry. Chemistry was my weakest subject. One day, Mr. Hendrickson, the chemistry teacher, said to me that he thought I wouldn't make the grade. 
Whatever his intention, I was suddenly a driven man. How dare he say I wasn't going to make the grade? All my hackles rose. Suddenly from nowhere, I was going to get the best grade in chemistry. And I was going to ram it up his ugly big nose and give him the right hand of fellowship. All in Christian love, you understand. Whatever else I was going to do, I was going to show that chap what on earth was he on about. I left school. I gave up chemistry after leaving school. So that drivenness towards that man was gone for me. But some of us are still driven. Some of us are driven by a parent that said, we'll never amount to much. And inside you said, I'll show them. And it drives you now, 20, 30, 40 years later. Maybe for us it's a teacher that made us feel useless. An older brother or sister. And even now, their words are driving you. Maybe you, you can't hear the words anymore, but that drivenness that they instilled in you is still there. And you, you never accomplish enough to be absolutely sure that you've proved them wrong. However much you do, their voice is somewhere in your head. It can't seem to be silent. So on and on, more and more you go. And so the one thing that you can never do is slow down. If you're going to relax, you will have to discover the most wonderful thing in the universe, and that's your worth is a gift from God. Nothing you can earn through your work, whatever that work might be. One of the greatest discoveries any human being can make is this one. You are precious and honoured, and the God of heaven says that you are, and he also says, by the way, I love you. I love you. This truth will slow you down faster than anything else. Why? Because there's nothing to prove. I'm precious and honoured in the eyes of a heavenly father who has the whole world in his embrace. He can do what he likes and says what he likes, but he says, I'm precious and I'm honoured. He says that he loves me. And if he says that, why on earth do I need to try and prove to myself, to you, to anybody else by my drivenness, my busyness, my mindless overactivity that I'm somebody when God has said that anyway. Secondly, if you're going to relax God's way, you have to enjoy. Enjoy what you already have. Everywhere we look these days, we're taught to be dissatisfied, aren't we? What we have is never enough. We're trained to want more. The pull to keep up with the Joneses is as strong as ever. Imagine coming from where I come from. There are millions of these Joneses all over the place. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. And our appreciation for all that we have dwindles. And we busy ourselves to get more, but at what expense? And it's not just in material things either. Busyness robs us of enjoying the richness of blessing of life that we have already received. Busyness robs us of the present as you lurch from one thing to the next in a bid to, to, to survive. Eight months ago, this came to me with incredible force. It's a lovely bright summer's day. The day had been set aside in my diary for prayer ministry. At that time, in fact, since that time, God has been doing some fantastic things in people's lives. And you've heard a little bit about that in Digging Deeper. And there are a few things that fire me, like seeing God's liberating freedom come to someone's life. So this day is my perfectly wired day. It's a day of prayer ministry. I love it. 
One of our cars, I think, was in the garage, and Kerry dropped me to the other side of Christchurch Park. All I had to do on this lovely summer's day was walk through the park. I love the sun. brings me alive. And then go on and do this praying stuff with, with people for whom the, God was doing just great things in their lives. It was all wise. I don't know how the conversation went some way in the car. And Kerry was celebrating something of all that God was doing, talking about the day and how good it would be. But could I celebrate it with her? No. Was I leaving with a skip in my step and a song in my heart? No. Was I excited and full of what God was doing at that moment? No. No, if I tell you the truth, I had no energy for it. I was knackered. I was spent. Was I living out of the depths? No. Like a beached whale, I was stranded in the shallow waters of my own exhaustion. Whose fault? My fault. My deal. Would I enjoy the day and rejoice in all that God was doing? No, I could do nothing more than think of surviving that day. Just getting through was the highest of all my hopes. Busyness had robbed me of the joy that I had. It does that. It reduces us to surviving, to just getting through. We live stranded in the shallow waters. We've become simply survivors. That day, the things that should bring me alive were bringing me down. That day, the things that would put a song in my soul had stolen the song. Busyness is that killer. And we've all been there. We've all been there. Slow down. Slow down to savor, to receive, to embrace all that God has given. It's the better way to live. It's the shepherd's way, the way of rich pasture. Thirdly, God's way for us is to, for us to relax, is to limit our work. A fool's work wearies him. He does not know the way to town. In other words, he does not know his way back home. He's worked so hard, he's so tired, he can't find his own way home. And actually, there are many people who are too tired by their work that they've lost their way at home. They have everything at work, but nothing at home. They can communicate a strategy around the world, but cannot say to the people that they live with, I love you. They can organize a multi-million pound project, but they cannot fold a nappy. If you're winning away, if you're winning away but losing at home, I'm not sure we're winning at all. If we're winning away but losing, I'm not sure we're winning at all. We must make conscious decisions for other things, things that nourish us, restore us, replenish us, that we might be the people fully present that God's asking us to be. Lovely paraphrase of this Ecclesiastes 10:15 goes, only someone too stupid to find his way home would weary himself out with his work. Built into the fabric of creation is the Sabbath principle. It's the key to our lives in balance. A lady called a pastor one day upset. She said, I called all day on Monday and couldn't get through. Pastor said, I'm terribly sorry. Monday is my day off. What? She said, you have a day off. The devil, she said, rather accusingly, never has a day off. Yes, said the pastor. And if I never have a day off, I will be just like the devil too. <laughs> and so right up there in the Big Ten, that don't commit adultery and don't murder and don't lie and cheat, right up there in the Big Ten is the Sabbath principle. Don't screw this up any more than the others. Right there it says one day. What's it for? For catching up on stuff you haven't finished in the week? No, for resting and reconnecting. 
We know that if we don't take time to rest our bodies, our bodies will become sick and they will force us to rest. During the French Revolution, they outlawed Sunday as a day of rest. Within a few years, they had to reinstate it, not for some pious religious reason, but simply because the health of the nation was collapsing. Do you feel guilty when you relax? Jesus didn't. Are you busier than Jesus? Is your stuff more important than his stuff? Quite hard, that, isn't it? Are you busier than Jesus? Your stuff more important than his? Can't stop to let that truth settle. <laughs> Thankfully, some of us say. It's not just about rest, it's about reconnection. We haven't got time to explore the depth of this that comes out of the, the Old Testament Sabbath and Shalom. It's about reconnecting the Sabbath with yourself. Time to reconnect with yourself, to engage with who you are, to let the joy and the pain that you've pushed down in your busyness rise to the surface that Father God can sort. It's about reconnecting with friends and family. Ultimately, it's about reconnecting with God, your maker. The Sabbath principle. Fourthly, God's way to relax, we've got to adjust our values. What good if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? What does it matter if you spend the whole of your life on the immediate and on the urgent and on the constantly demanding now but never reach the things that matter most? The story goes of a philosophy professor who stood before his class and had some items in front of him and he had a big mayonnaise jar. And into the mayonnaise jar, as uh, the class watched in silence, he placed two-inch rocks into the jar until the jar was full. And he says to the students, is the jar full? They go, yes. Then he gets some smaller pebbles, and he puts those into the jar, and of course they fall between the gaps, and the jar fills up a bit more. He says to the students, is this jar full? They laugh a little and say, yes. Then he gets some sand and pours the sand in. The sand goes right into all the nooks and crannies until the jar seems truly full. The students laugh a bit more. Yes, it's really full now. Philosophy professor said, this is your life. The rocks are the most important things. Your family, your partner, your health, your children, your friends, your faith. Things that if everything else was lost, your life would still be full. Pebbles are the other things that matter. Maybe your job, your house, your car. Sand is everything else, the small stuff. If you put the sand in first, your jar will fill. Will fill. There'll be no room for your pebbles. And there'll be no room for your rocks. Pay attention, he said to his class, to the things that matter most. Play with your children. Look after your health. Take your partner out dancing. There will always be time to go to work and clean the house. Then suddenly, a cocky little student gets up, walks out the front, picks up this jar that's full, opens a can of beer, pours the beer into the jar. Of course, the beer soaks into all the sand and it fills up. He says to the class, the moral of the story, however busy your life is, there's always room for beer. <laughs> Maybe there's room for beer, but for heaven's sake, get the rocks in, won't you? You will get the rocks in, won't you? Before all that other stuff. We must adjust our values. And finally, we must exchange our pressure for God's pace. The sheep looked to the shepherd. They couldn't go faster than the shepherd. And they couldn't survive and go slower either. It was a shepherd that would make them lie in green pasture. 
that would hold them there for a while, that their lives might be nourished and fed and enriched. Following the shepherd may not be the rush that we have come to believe. Someone has rewritten Psalm 23 to reflect something of the shepherd's pace. And I close with this. The Lord is my pace setter. I shall not rush. He makes me stop and rest at intervals. He provides me with images of stillness to restore my serenity. He leads me in the way of efficiency to calmness of mind. And his guidance is peace. Even though I have a great many things to accomplish this day, I will not fret, for his presence is here. His timelessness, his all-importance will keep me in balance. He prepares refreshment and renewal in the midst of my activity, anointing my head with the oil of tranquility. My cup of joyous energy overflows. Surely harmony and effectiveness shall be the fruits of my hours, for I shall walk in the pace of my Lord and dwell in his heaven forever. Let's pray. Drop thy still dews of quietness till all our strivings cease. Take from our souls the strain and stress and let our ordered lives confess the beauty of thy peace. Breathe through the heats of our desire thy coolness and thy balm. Let sense be dumb, let flesh retire. Speak through the earthquake, wind and fire. O still, small voice of calm. There weren't lush green pastures in Palestine for the sheep. So how was the shepherd going to lead the sheep to somewhere lush and green? It could only have been a place that had been created by the shepherd. The pasture was the shepherd's work, his clearing away of the brambles, his watering the land, his irrigation. The work of the shepherd created and then led them Our great shepherd, in his work on the cross, cleared away the brambles and the thorns and created streams in the desert that in this dark world we might live in the light of all that is to come. 